0: Hello, and welcome to Authors Annotated, a Gwinnett County Public Library podcast where we chat with authors about their work, their creative processes, and their love of libraries. My name is Steve Thomas, manager of our Grayson branch, and on today's episode, we welcome Alex Robson, an assistant principal at Gwinnett County Public Schools and author of The Freedom Cards, 15 Years Fighting to Understand Freedom. In 2006, Alex, then a high school student, began collecting ideas about freedom on 3 by 5 index cards from thousands of notable people from around the world, individuals as disparate as Elton John and the late Archbishop Desmond Tutu. His book includes more than 500 of those cards. Robson is joined in conversation with Kalinda Shialaba, a six-time Emmy Award-winning writer, producer, and content creator who is the content and creative services coordinator with Gwinnett County Public Schools. Take it away, Kalinda.
1: I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. I've known Alex for a few years now. We first met through the Teacher of the Year process at Gwinnett County Public Schools, and I'm happy to say we've become friends over the years. And once he first told me about this book, I immediately became interested, and now it's so exciting to be able to share this whole journey with you. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. So I'm going to jump right in, Alex, and sure. have you tell us how this journey with the Freedom Cards began.
2: Well, before we start, I would love to just thank the library. It was very nice to get an email from the library that wasn't about fines. So that was great and for letting us have this great venue and all of the unbelievable work that they do for our kids in Gwinnett County, which is endless. And thank you, Kalinda, Absolutely. Who, her introduction was like a tenth of what she actually does yes, is the unbelievable work that you do with highlighting great stuff when I get to school. So how did the Freedom Cards begin? Yes, When I was in high school, I began sending a couple of letters to writers who I had really enjoyed. And I was surprised by their attentiveness to my letters and coming back. And I kind of got a little idea that it would be interesting to start to maybe ask a few people the same question to see what their responses would be. And this was a time with George W. Bush at the end of his presidency. There was a lot of conflict that we had in our politics and just thinking about things that we connected with one another. So I sent out about 10 cards to 10 people that I thought would respond asking that question. And almost every single one of them sent it back. And the first one that I ever got was Ken Starr. And so he really began the collection. And a perfect person to start off that a lot of people have opinions about. And it was a very interesting card. And from there, I worked a lot on politicians. And I worked a lot on talking with people about really political freedom. And the freedom that you would have based on what you can say and what you can't say, and then also ventured out into veterans and Medal of Honor and really worked a lot on those groups to make sure that they were very well represented in the collage of the cards.
1: So you were in 10th grade? Yes. First had the idea. So what was your early vision of what this was going to turn out to be?
2: So it started off more as a political exercise and thinking about it more between connections between right and left. But as it expanded, it became more of a connection more between different ideas and different thoughts that people had. When you started to ask philosophers and writers, their views on freedom tended to be more philosophical in nature. So that made me kind of want to expand further into those groups. I really liked asking poets because they wrote really great things on these little three by five index cards, like it was maybe even kind of like an exercise for them to see how good they could make them. And so I was really impressed by those groups of people. So we kind of kept expanding. And then we wanted to include people who were a little bit less in the mainstream. Things like we spent a lot of time on religious leaders and their connection between religion and freedom and continued to keep finding these great groups of people. And I would have friends and my family would say, hey, I just read about this person in the newspaper. And lots of times we track them down and figure out where we could send the card. And lots of times they would send it back. And we would kind of use the cards that we had already gotten as leverage. You could say, we got a couple of famous people. Would you like to join in? And I think that really helped get us credibility so that more and more people wanted to participate.
1: And speaking of that, you started getting these cards back. What was the moment that you thought you knew you were really onto to something, that this was an idea that was going to have momentum?
2: So I can remember the exact day that it happened. Okay. And it was, I think it was probably a junior or maybe a senior at the time, and a letter from Ray Bradbury came oh, back. One of my favorites. Uh, and so, you know, first of all, you can't get excited <laughs> when you just see the envelope because you just never know what's going to be in it. It could be like, I'm too busy or whatever, but I could almost even see that there was some Sharpie Mm -hmm. through the envelope. So, you know, you open it very slowly and you don't want to get too excited. And I opened it and it was actually not a card. It was a sheet of paper and it was on his kind of weird and Martian-y stationary. Mm -hmm. And it was handwritten on there. And what it said was, freedom is Los Angeles. No one hit me, handcuffed me. Got in my way to become me. I jumped off a cliff and I built my wings on the way down. Freedom. And I thought, man, that was pretty good. Wow. Yeah, I can see why that
1: would stand out in your memory for sure.
2: Yeah. One of my favorite things is it's his stationery and it's got his address because obviously I found that online. And it's got his phone number. And with his Sharpie, he marked out his phone number because he did not want me to call him back. (laughs) Yeah. And when Ray Bradbury passed away, maybe two or three years after that, I really felt like I had a little part of him that was really unique and something that, to this day, is really, I consider, kind of like one of the tent poles of the project. And that's why, on the cover, it's actually Ray Bradbury's handwriting of that freedom.
1: Excellent. We didn't know
2: that. Lots of times people call me when I would send them cards and... One time, Henry Kissinger's office called, and that was a very exciting moment because we were at a restaurant, and the key that you know that it's a good phone call is 202 is the area code of Washington, D.C. You answer 202s. (laughs) And so his office called, and they were just kind of asking some questions about the Freedom Cards, and they said they were going to do one. And so I heard his voice a little bit, and he asked a question, and that voice was very recognizable being on the phone. So that was a very cool moment. I do recall also, you know, when you had caller ID that um, Maya Angelou's name popped up once and you were like, wow, did you answer that
1: one. <laughs>
2: yeah, I get lots of emails that are kind of like, they just want to know more about the project as it goes. Awesome. Well, I
1: know I've been intrigued by The process itself. How do you send out the cards? And then, like, what does it look like? What's the envelope look like? Do you send them like a self addressed stamped envelope? Tell me about that.
2: Yeah. Well, it's really depends on the group. Okay. A great example would be to talk about the Medal of Honor recipients. So in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, there's the Medal of Honor kind of Hall of Fame that's right by the USS Yorktown. And they have a service where they forward mail to Medal of Honor winners. So just knowing that, I was able to get in contact with quite a few of them, and I would send a envelope okay. that's brown, that's a little bit bigger than a normal envelope, Okay. and then inside that has a self-addressed stamped envelope, then it's got the 3 by 5 index card, and then it has got a letter, and I try to make them, it really depends, I'll tell you that today the letters are a lot more personal, because I tend to ask people now that I think are really interesting personally. Sure. At the time, you would talk about what the project is. I think saying that I was in high school helped a lot to say that this was a unique experience and project. And tons and tons of Medal of Honor winners came back. And they were unbelievable. And the one that really sticks out to me was a general who was in the Hanoi Hilton. He was a POW, and his name is Bud Day. And he passed away fairly recently. And his card was very simple, and it just said, freedom is opening the door from the inside. And like the idea of that in connection with all those political ones, that you were kind of getting a feel for what freedom really looks like to people and individuals and how those previous experiences shape what it is that you think of freedom.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that in an earlier conversation about how the different lens of some would come through religious lens or some would look at it through philosophical. Yeah. That must have really impacted.
2: Yeah, and the best cards are the ones that reflect the person that writes them. And I really, really like those ones that send a little bit of themselves with it. And it might just be in their handwriting sometimes or the way that they phrase things or sometimes even the length of time it takes them to send it back.
1: Well, that was my other question, that the motivation for people to take the time to write it, and send it back. You've collected over 3,000?
2: Yeah, we're close to 3,000. Amazing. Yeah, yes. of notable people. And then we have what I call the Freedom Four that we go on and sometimes go to different events, and then that's a whole oh, other yeah. group of right. them. So in, I call them notable people, historical. And you wouldn't know all of their names, but they're kind of connected in certain sort of ways with each other. So I really like that lens and that motivation. I think that there's lots and lots of motivations on why people do them. The one that really sticks out is a family. I reminisce to say that my mom and dad are here as well. And I think that this idea (laughs) came from my mom, who read an article about gold star families. Those are families of people who have lost somebody in active service. So that's a really tough group, first of all, to break into. It's a guarded group. And I was really lucky because one of the people had a very unique last name. I was actually able just to look them up in the white pages and find them. So I just sent him a letter. And I think it bounced around a little bit out there. But I eventually got a card back. And right now, I think it's one of the ones that means the most to me. She talks about her son who passed away in Iraq. I kind of became... Friends with her a little bit. His name was Alex, and we were almost about the same age. And I think that there was always a little connection there between that we both had the same name. So she put a picture of him on the card and wrote on there. I'll read it for you. This is the face of freedom. Our son, Sergeant Alex Funchen, died on the streets of Baghdad, Iraq, to keep the terrorists from coming to the U.S. to kill innocent men, women, and children. Freedom means to me. I will never see my son the rest of my life. And her motivation for doing it and for putting his picture on there was to keep his memory alive. And people see that card and they're so moved by it. I always have to tell her that he's really is alive on that card. And it's okay. So I'm kind of taking over for no, a second. No,
1: absolutely. I mean, I mean we're
2: <laughs> So we went on the Freedom Summer Tour. Yes, yes. I had this idea. I had all of these white index cards and I didn't have a story to tell. And that was because I didn't know these people that well. You know, Elton John sends a card and that's cool. Yeah. But I don't know Elton John. So I wanted to feel a little bit of the dirt under my feet and meet some of these people. And so I thought, what a great hokey thing to say that I'm visiting 48 states during my summer break as a teacher. And so we got a little publicity because of that. And I got to say that I went to 48 states, which was unbelievably cool. And so Miss Function had done a card maybe two or three years before. And I sent her a Facebook message. And I said, I'm driving through Kansas. So while I was on the tour, I took a journal with me, and I wrote about the things that I saw and wanted to include some of those. And I think that it's a great place to talk, and maybe you can get a little taste of the book about what I wrote meeting the functions. The Long Drive to Kansas. Bel Air, a suburb of Wichita, is situated between Highway 254 and 96 in Kansas's flat Middle Plains, Residential streets are lined with single-story homes, mostly painted in neutral colors like sand dune, Mississippi mud, and burnt sienna. The trees lining the city streets are small, newly planted, and with broad green leaves that rustle in the hot Midwestern winds. The Functions have lived in Bel Air for over 15 years, in a home not too far from 45th Street, and the through road that can take you west to Greenwich, Kansas, or east to I-35. The sun was still shining when I pulled up in front of their home, and I kept driving while looking to confirm the house numbers. I checked it for a third time and stopped the car. I had never met the Functions face-to-face or even heard their voices. I only knew them through our emails and mail conversations. Miss Funchin had sent me her picture with her husband and her son, Alex, a few years before, and now that picture hung in my condo along with a copy of Alex's dog tags. As I walked up their concrete driveway, I saw a marking on the home, subtle and hidden from the road, a red placard with a gold star. When I arrived, Miss Function moved back and forth between the wooden oak table and her kitchen. Her home was decorated with handmade crafts and arts, pictures of churches on dirt roads and patterned quilts. Mr. Function sat in a chair next to the desktop computer, which had its monitor boosted, by games like Apples to Apples and Trivial Pursuit. The window was framed with fabric curtains adorned with tiny blue and gold flowers vining from the bottoms to the top. Miss Function began to serve dinner. The first bowl was full of black beans and the second grated cheese, then ribbons of lettuce, avocados, and seasoned ground beef. I sat with Miss Function at the table for a few moments before we talked about Alex again his challenges in high school, and why he joined the Army. After dinner, we all got into Mr. Function's gray sedan and began driving through Bel Air. This was Alex's high school. Miss Function said, Down this road is where he went to Boy Scouts. There were signs for summer festivals and cars for sale. After the 15-minute drive, Mr. Function pulled up to the cemetery, parked a few feet from the road. I waited for the Functions to guide me through on where to go. Mr. Function said, here he is, and he showed me Alex's gravestone, and told me about the service that had preceded his burial, the process for examining the body after his death, and the pilots that flew him back to Kansas. I listened as Alex's parents narrated stories about him while Mr. Function adjusted the flag by the gravesite. Alex was funny, and sometimes troubled, and always late for things. After a few moments of silence, the Functions began to leave, and I gave Miss. Function an encasing hug. I wanted to say that it wasn't fair, but she already knew that. And I let go and looked over to Mr. Function and he stretched out his arms for an embrace. Alex laid six feet below us, covered by soil and grass and cement and wood. And over 10 years later, the parades had abated and the Patriot Guard had driven off. The police cars were back at the precinct and the police who lined the streets had all gone home. Alex was no longer a soldier. He was a son and a brother, only given to America temporarily and now returned to his mother and father. Alex's cemetery was so far from everything else. We were alone, away from politics and the news. The scene was tranquil and peaceful, and the crickets buzzed as birds flocked in the blue and pink twilight sky. It is a place I cannot think about without crying. A place where lives end too early and moms are left with holes in their hearts. A place where freedom is not a word anymore. A place in the middle of America that's far from the oceans that hit its shores. A place where a boy laid to rest about 20 minute drive from his parents' house. A place you might pass by if you're not looking for it. So, I got to visit a lot of people, and... I feel like I changed a lot on the trip. First of all, it's really meditative to be in the car that long with yourself. I got to visit every friend I've ever had because they couldn't say that they weren't going to be by somewhere because I was going everywhere. And And so that was great. I had some stops that were kind of planned, like the functions along the way. But sometimes the best ones were the ones that just I would drive by and there would be a, a cart selling food and it would be a Mennonite farmer. and. You could just stop and talk to them and you tell them about the book. And I didn't run into a single person that didn't say, hey, I would love to help you. So I think that I changed a lot because I saw America in a way that I had never seen it before, which was away from cities, sometimes where there isn't much out there, in little towns. And something that really stuck with me, even to this day, is... I went to this small town in North Dakota, and it was almost a ghost town. And the sand is whipping around, and nobody is to be seen. And they have a movie theater, and it's like one of those old ones that maybe has one screen. And it doesn't say a movie. It just says, pray for rain. And you think, environmental policy. And you think, well, we got to protect endangered shrimp. But for somebody who's right there, irrigation is not just us talking about it. It's life and death. So that's what freedom is all about, us trying to determine what my wants are and what your wants are and where that freedom can connect and that complicated disagreement that we always will have based on that. So I really, really like that a lot. And something else that I did a lot was I stopped at Anywhere where I could find nuns, because...
1: <laughs> well, the Catholic in me really enjoys that. Yeah. It's not, it's not,
2: it's not yeah. <laughs> you know, nuns, they're so different than what I am. How they've dedicated their lives to something, and they've given up all of these things. And I visited some monasteries, some Buddhist monasteries. and So I stopped at mm-hmm. one habit that was in Salt Lake City, Utah, and... I had pointed out this group because they're essentially the most conservative nuns that exist. They're fully cloistered. They leave for like no reasons at all, except for to go to the um, doctor. And one of them brings the money from the church once a week. That's it. And I didn't call ahead. And so I just knocked on the door and I said, I'm writing this book about freedom. Is there somebody that can talk to me? And they said, yes. So. I walked in, and she gave me some directions, which is kind of weird, because you would think they would meet you at the door. And she says, no, go down the hall. Third door on your right will be open. So I'm walking in there, and go to the third door, and what's in there is a room, and there's a window, and it's got bars across it. And then there's a, like a curtain that's closed. And so I just kind of sat there, and opens a little bit, and this nun, who is a little lady, explained to me what cloistered means, and how she can't really talk to anybody, and that the bars were a thing from the past to keep separated from people who were not cloistered, and there is a moment when you realize that you are sitting in essentially a jail of people choosing to be there, who are exercising their freedom 100%. And what a unique experience that is. She had a beautiful golden retriever. So they do have dogs. They don't really listen to the news. They don't really get involved too much in even church politics. They pray almost all day. And when an occasional traveler comes by, they let them in. That experience of meeting all of these different people who experience freedom in so many different ways really changed the way that I even live my life a little bit. And putting those voices all into the book together, you'll see there's two pages of nuns in the book. And I had to pick some, like there's more. So if you're interested in the nuns.
1: Well, there's also the monastery here in Conyers.
2: Yeah, and so we visited that. And they're a little bit less conservative. And I got to meet a few of them. And they were, of course, unbelievably nice and they did cards. Um, One of the gentlemen who did one was one of the people who started the monastery. And I think it was 93 when he did the card. And, you know, it's funny because sometimes I get a little nervous when I'm doing this because it's kind of crazy. And you'd think that maybe a monk doesn't have that much patience. And so I must have somehow he knew. And he looked right at me and said, it's okay. And I was like, how did this guy know? And he put me at ease 100%. And he did a little card. and So you do the card. And then I got asked the big ask, can I take a picture of you with the card? Which sometimes I do get a no on that. We're looking
1: at that in the book today, actually. Uh It's a great photo.
2: It's awesome.
1: I think, you you know, when you're sharing all of these stories, the amazing part is the thought-provoking that you're doing with the people that you're speaking with also, and then back to the families and the gift that you're able to give them by letting them share their thoughts and their experiences with you. And I think that's one of the, the great gifts that you're also giving to people as you're collecting these cards and, and changing your own perspective. Mm-hmm. So that's a great aspect of the book. And then, so speaking of the book, one of the questions that we've wanted to talk about was how It all came together. I mean, so you gathered all these cards over the years, and then this beautiful publication now is out
2: there. So tell us about that. Here's the most interesting thing about the book it's not free to get a designer to make a book. So you have to pay the designer. And the Freedom Cards, I mean, we don't make any money, but sometimes when I request a card from somebody, sometimes they'll send the card, and lots of times the envelope will be a bigger envelope and they'll send stuff with it, like a signed picture or something. And then sometimes maybe they don't read the letter or they have like a little stack of signed cards or whatever. So I have all of these that have come through 10 years. And I was going through starting to think about the book when COVID started and we had a lot of time to kind of reflect on things. <laughs> and so I was going through this file of stuff. And I mean, it's pretty cool. And there's lots of stuff. And I opened a, a page and there were three Ruth Bader Ginsburg cards signed by her. And I said, oh, yeah, I do remember those. Uh, <laughs> and then I looked on eBay, and through those three sales, Ruth Bader Ginsburg financed the book. So she didn't know it, but that's, that's
1: pretty good. That, 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 <laughs> and you were able to sell the cards and then able to, that's incredible. Yeah. And so she'd be very proud. Yeah. I think, so. <laughs> I think she would be very yeah. proud of.
2: Yeah. So I got a designer who uh, we worked with and really loved the vision of the book and the things that we were trying to put in there and gave us a lot of creative freedom, but also reined us in a little bit on things that needed to be a certain way. And we went through about five versions of going back and forth and adding a little bit more heart into the book. It started off and it kind of seemed a little bit too museum-like. And then as we went on, it I added some more stories and little notes about people I met. And it really, I think, got a good feel for what the project was all about, which was meeting people and connecting people and just thinking a little bit further about freedom in whatever way it was that you wanted to enjoy it.
1: Well, I know. So you mentioned that it was funded in that manner. But tell me about the proceeds. I know you're doing something wonderful with the donations.
2: Yeah. So I didn't write any of the cards. So I mean, I can't take any of the money. So all of the proceeds go to the Gwinnett Foundation and to our Give Center West scholarship that we have. And so that's really exciting. And let me tell you, it's like a get rich slow scheme. (laughs) (laughs) But it's great. We've given about $350 so far. And we're excited about promoting the book and really starting to branch out, hopefully sell a few more, and we can get some kids some scholarships to college.
1: I think that's amazing. So you've given out a few scholarships already for students, so you're already changing lives that as well.
2: Yeah. What's great is the scholarship and the way that Gwinnett Foundation works. They support kids so well. What's great about the foundation is it can be for trade schools or it can be for college. One of our scholarships that we gave already was a student who wanted to go to barber school, which was great. Right.
1: Well, I think that's a lovely idea. I think.
2: Yeah. That's really great. So buy some books.
1: (laughs) That's a very good cause for sure.
2: Gwinnett County Public Schools has supported the Freedom Cards immensely throughout every part of creating it. Right when it was a baby project, our social studies department at Mill Creek High School got every kid to do a card, essentially, like as a school project. And so there were lots and lots of cards from pretty young people. And I've got to visit quite a few classrooms throughout the year. They experience freedom in a way that's different because of their lived experiences, which is actually the truth on every single one of the cards. It's just so obvious to them because their life experience is a little bit more limited.
1: So... We've talked a little bit about this already, but the concept of freedom, how do you think that has changed over the years?
2: So I don't know how much the concept of freedom has changed, but what I think that I've seen a lot of is the vocabulary that we use to talk about it. So going back to really at the beginning when we were doing a lot, when we did the Medal of Honor winners, is that I believe maybe two or three of them mentioned by name an issue of flag burning on their card. Because at the time, that was really something that people were arguing about. And what I've really noticed is that almost all of our political arguments that we have are actually arguments about freedom. And where does freedom start? And where does the law begin? So in that case, the verbiage that people were using was about should we be allowed to burn flags? And there was a variety of opinions on there. Now, today, I started to get some cards that mentioned masks and the freedom to wear them or the freedom not to. So the the actual concept of freedom seems like it's pretty clear in there. But the things that we argue about in politics change a lot based on, of course, what's going on in America at that moment.
1: And so in terms of COVID and the pandemic, freedom shrunk in a lot of ways. Right. And the cards continued and...
2: Yeah. Yeah. About a week into the pandemic, nobody was out on the roads and I got on the, in the car and just drove around. I was trying to find, I needed one card because I feel like we have this huge pandemic. I need to have something that keeps us relevant. This is such a tough time. We got to connect to it. And I guess I just found almost, maybe she was a crazy nurse, but she just said yes right away. <laughs> And I mean, it was before we knew anything about COVID and she was in her full get up. And it was a scary time, like when you weren't there and we just didn't know as much. And she did a card in all of the the get up and it really captured a moment. And that's really something that I think is really cool about the cards is how it does capture moments, especially when we go to different events. I think the first event that I went to after that had happened, the COVID pandemic was a Black Lives Matter protest that happened that summer that it was after the George Floyd killing in Atlanta. And that, so I've been to a lot of protests and I've been to a lot of political rallies and that was by far the most intense. And it didn't start that way. And it became what is known now that there was a riot and there was almost a riot in every city in America that Mm -hmm. night. And there was something going on there at that moment that was different than anything I had ever felt before. It was probably a little because of the pandemic, the issues that were being dealt with. It felt different. And what I can really remember is it turned dark and tear gas was being shot at the crowds and the tear gas in the pores of my hair going into my skull. And those are things that when you go to a protest, usually it's not like that. So that moment was like the tip of freedom. It was like, where is freedom going to end up in here? The next day, a lot of stuff was closed down. The uh, ability to assemble was restricted. There was a curfew the next day. That is right there where we're trying to figure out where freedom really is. And where it is going to be tomorrow. So... Going to those kind of events, some of which are charged and some are kind of scary and some like a political rally or there's a lot of happy people. They're expressing their views in different ways. That's something that's really a great place for us to be able to ask some people for some cards.
1: One of the things we wanted to talk about was also the way that we're capturing moments in history. Like This book, when you look through and flip through the pages and you see the dates and times and places, it's really what's happening in the world at that time. And then yet again, there's a, an underlying layer of just the constancy
2: right. of freedom. Right. Yeah. And how we view it and what is most important at that moment and how that changes a lot. It's just just depending on who's the president and where we are in an election cycle. I like to do election day cards because as teachers, we usually get that day off, which is nice. <laughs> and so I went around maybe three or four election cycles, presidential election cycles, and ask people who were holding signs up and people I found who were campaigning. And to be right there at the moment of when one of our biggest freedoms is exercised, people speak in an almost joyous way on their card, which sometimes you don't see as much. But in that moment, they're expressing themselves, that freedom of speech and the Casting the vote, which is amazing and a really powerful moment to capture. So sometimes I ask my friends to do them, and sometimes they have their friends do them. And sometimes I'll just walk up to somebody who's got a campaign sign. And if you have a campaign sign, you usually are okay with talking to somebody, is what I've noticed.
1: Absolutely. Well, I know you've got a few of them on display over here. So, and you've gathered. Lots of things, like you said, you get a lot of things in the mail. Mm-hmm. So where do you keep all of this? And mom, is that a lot? I was <laughs> still there uh,
2: So uh, some of them, like the actual cards are actually in a safety deposit box. Nice. Okay. And, but the files and files, because I save everything, like the envelopes that they come in, I save all of those and they're in these really cool files for envelopes. And I save the return to sender cards too, which are like, we could write a book just on the return to send cards <laughs> and then trying to find a better address or the rejection letters, of course, so save all of that stuff. So it takes up a pretty solid chunk of a closet. Yeah. And when we were putting together the book, God. it was really fun to go through that and remember some of the absolutely crazy ideas that I had uh, of who I sent cards to like let's just send it to Kim Jong-un and see what happens. And then... Did you get a
1: return to sender? Yeah, I got to return to sender. <laughs> I, I didn't that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I guess that makes sense. Um,
1: was there a big reach of one that you thought, oh my gosh, they're they're never going to return that. And then sure enough, it shows up. And
2: Yeah, it shows up a lot in, I call them the international cards, but they go a long way and then they come back and you just can't believe that somebody would do that. The one that stands out the most is, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who recently passed away, who did a card and he wrote, freedom is to be human. And to think of that for just a moment that that went to South Africa and a guy who had no business answering my mail, sat down there and wrote a handwritten card and sent that back. I mean, it's like unbelievable how connected we can be in that kind of moment. I'm also thinking of Meep Gies, who was Anne Frank's protector when she was in the attic. And so she was one of the caretakers of the diary afterwards. I sent her a card and she sent it back and she said that freedom allows me to protect the freedom of others. And those people have been through things that we could never even imagine and that they still hold that one concept of freedom so dear that they have to protect it in a way that we don't get to experience or luckily don't have to on a daily basis. So some of those international cards are the ones that maybe shock me the most, and they come with very interesting stamps on them because they're from different countries, and you see it, and again, you can't get excited until you open it. And some of them are (laughs) so exciting to open. It's actually a lot harder to get the cards today than it was when I started. And I'm not sure on why that is. Maybe I don't have the high school angle anymore. I'm kind of an adult now. So that might be one reason. But for example, once winter, my entire family, my grandma, I made them kind of all get in a room and we wrote a card, a letter to each member of Congress, the senators and the House of Representatives. And they came like it was where we got some of the most amazing cards from Nancy Pelosi, who's up there right now, send us a card back, the Speaker of the House. Unbelievable. I recently sent a hundred letters to the hundred senators that are current because we had a lot that we hadn't covered and I have yet to get a response back. A single one. And I don't know why that is. I don't think that it's a personal thing against them. I think that the environment is just different and I think that COVID could have something to do with that and just the environment is so different that it just doesn't seem the same. So that's something that I've noticed has changed a lot. I could tell you that I was really surprised when I got a card back from Chris Christofferson, who wrote Me and Bobby McGee, and he had written, Freedom's Just Another Word for Nothing Left to Lose. And you're like, perfect. <laughs> <laughs>
1: perfect. Well, someone had the question about the authenticity of someone, and like someone. Would they maybe have somebody that would do the card for them and put it in, or how do you know that that's an authentic...
2: signature from some. so lots of times i'll send an email and confirm with the person just to make sure because a couple of times maybe two cards came in at the exact same time and i'm just wanting to make sure that it's exactly the right person has got it and a couple of times the person has looked on the website and just based on you know how the internet is and you're building your website and the wrong card is connected with the name and they'll correct me And I'll be like, well, that was kind of cool, but then you were on the website. You know, little things like that. But for the most part, they come directly from where they should be coming from. Okay. And that email confirmation helps a lot on some people that you might wonder if they kind of came from a lot of different places. I also contact a little bit beforehand, depending on who it is, if they have like a publicist or something like that, and they'll say, send it here, that sort of thing. And also, I've learned that publicists will... They make big promises. Oh. Yeah. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, he's definitely going to do a card. And sometimes it doesn't come back. Yeah. But the key is that if you can keep that relationship with them lots of times if you send it again. I think probably one of the funniest rejections that I've ever gotten was a college professor. And he was a he still is a philosophy professor. And so I sent a card and he has like a form letter that said he's on sabbatical this winter, try back in the fall. So I keep a little calendar and I tried back in the fall and I got the exact same letter that said he was on sabbatical (laughs) in the fall, try in the summer. Yeah. So I think he's been on sabbatical for a while.
1: (laughs) Tell us what the next step in this freedom book journey is for freedom card. Yeah,
2: so this is half of the cards. The other half are cards that have come from prison, And so I've always quietly worked on that group of individuals. I'm not as public about them. And I've worked really hard sometimes with chaplains within prisons. I've worked with individuals within prison, talking to a lot of them who were there for nonviolent drug offenses, quite a few people who end up getting pardoned for different reasons, people who are thought of generally as innocent who are also in prison and there's controversy connected. And then also political figures who are in prison. And I have one to share that I think is really an interesting one. And this came from Chelsea Manning. And this was when she was in prison the first time. And I sent her a letter and it came right back. And it said, freedom is the absolute inalienable right to define yourself on your own terms in your own language, to express your identity and your perspectives openly, regardless of the consequences, and to live and die as a human being, whether or not you are recognized or treated as one. And so she sent that the first time she was in prison, and since she's been sent back for not testifying in a grand jury. And so her perspective is so different as somebody who did something that she knew would end her up in jail, but she believed it was right. And so that view is something that isn't in this book and really has to be separate and put together in the other one. And so I'm working on that, the second half of the books. It's called The Prison Cards. And there's about 700 of them. And so we're kind of putting them all together and finding good connections and interesting things that those individuals have said. And honestly, that book has proven a little bit harder to put together. I think it takes a lot more out of you to read some of the unbelievable stories, they send huge amounts of stuff back, like letters on letters, and oftentimes will continue to contact me, mm-hmm. and we go back and forth sometimes, depending on what the situation is, and going through and seeing what we should share and what, what would be interesting to hear. There's so much material to go through. We'll
1: definitely be looking for us yep. round two to this conversation. Yeah. With, with some of those, I'm sure that would be a great dialogue. Well, what a gift you, you've given others and for us this evening to share this journey. So if there's a student out there and they have this great idea of starting a journey like the Freedom Cards, what advice would you give
2: them? Oh, well, you should just do it and <laughs> try and it's not going to work a lot of the time and you can't let that get you down, but you got to keep sending out the cards because you might have to send out a hundred, but that 101 comes back and you might have to ask quite a few people at the political rally, if they mind taking a few moments, but you'll end up on that one person and you'll find a connection with them instantaneously. And it's really the people that you meet along the way.
1: Yeah,
2: that's a cr- great advice. So my chosen profession is a teacher and now I'm an assistant principal. And I feel like when you're a teacher or you work in the school system, you're essentially ensuring freedom for the next generation you want them to be literate and you want them to be smart so that they can exercise their freedom in a great way we want i want my kids to be able to get the job that they want to have so that they can have the freedom to go on vacation if they want to and the ability to sometimes travel if they'd like or change jobs if they want i like that freedom for those kids thank you thank you thanks
0: Thank you for listening to Authors Annotated, a podcast from Gwinnett County Public Library. And thanks again to Alex and Kalinda for their informative conversation. You can find out more about the library's podcasts from gwinnettpl.org slash podcasts and follow them in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Thanks for listening and for supporting your Gwinnett County Public Library.